Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the readings for the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time Cycle A, that's October 11th, 2020. In general, I can say this, that we can hear God, we can listen to Him, we can hear His invitation, and maybe even feel honored to be asked, but we find the invitation an unwanted interruption to the life that we prefer to live. We fail to recognize that we're chosen for a reason. We are part of God's plan A, but if we refuse him and force him to go with plan B, he will do that. How sad for us that we will miss the blessing that he has in mind for us in order to satisfy some lesser selfish desire. The scripture that comes to my mind here in this is, is from the Jerusalem Bible, and it's Psalm 37.4. Make Yahweh your only joy, and he will give you what your heart desires. So what that's really saying is if we find our joy and completion in God, he will change our hearts to desire what he desires, and we'll find great joy in that. Let's take a look at the first reading. Uh, this is from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through the first part of verse 10. And it begins with, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts, which in the Jerusalem Bible is Yahweh Sabaoth, and the, the mountain is Mount Zion, I will provide a feast for all peoples. Now, let's look at John chapter 6, verses 51 and 52 to 53. Jesus tells the people basically the same thing here. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. The bread that I shall give is my flesh for the life of the world. In truth, I tell you, I do not, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you, or you have no life in you. So Jesus has promised this. So he, he, he will, so as he said, a rich feast for all peoples, rich food and choice wine for all peoples, juicy, rich food, pure, choice wines. You know, several weeks ago, we had Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read them again. It's, it's, it's giving the same type of a message in a little bit different way. It says, Oh, come to the water, all you who are thirsty, though you have no money. Come, buy and eat, buy wine and milk without money, free. Why spend money on what cannot nourish and your wages on what fails to satisfy? Listen carefully to me and you will have good things to eat and rich food to enjoy. Pay attention, come to me, listen and you will live. I shall make an everlasting covenant with you in the fulfillment of the favors promised to David. So what are those promises? That, the, that David's kingdom would last forever and it would be he would be a ruler, total ruler. So God is telling us that he has this in mind for us. And the question that comes for us, do we want it? And what we'll see in the gospel is that uh, the people of Jesus' time really didn't want this. They wanted something else. That's the, in the parable that Jesus is telling. Now, he says, On this mountain he will destroy the veil that veils all peoples, the web that is woven over all nations. Now, let's take a look at a couple of other scriptures that really talk about that. And one of them is in 2 Corinthians 3.14, But their minds were closed, and t indeed, this very day, the same veil remains over the reading of the Old Testament. It is not lifted, for only in Christ is it done away with. So Paul is telling us that this veil that is being talked about here in Isaiah is 
is goes on through the New Testament, even into Paul's time, and that the people, the Jewish people, even in Paul's time, had a veil over their minds. Their minds were veiled. They could not see clearly what was going, and they could not correctly interpret all of the Old Testament with its prophecies of the coming of the Messiah and what the Messiah had in mind for them. Another scripture that we could look at with that in that regard is in Hosea 13, 14. And he says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your destruction? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. He says, I will destroy. God will wipe away every tear. Oh, I got a little, that one I read a little bit early. I'm sorry. And the tear from every face, the reproach of his people, he will remove from the whole earth. The Lord has spoken. Now, let's look at, at Revelation 7. 17, and I think you see the same thing in 21.4, but I, yes, basically, but I'll read both of those. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So in, in Revelation, you know, it's all about the marriage feast of the lamb, and we'll see in the gospel a, uh, a, a parable that will speak about the wedding feast of the son. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then in 21.4, which this is just a few verses from the end of, of the canon of Scripture. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will walk, wash away every tear from their eyes. That's basically the same thing. So it's talking about the Lamb. And if you remember, John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God. He pointed him out and called him the Lamb of God, and Andrew and John heard this, and they followed Jesus. Now, what what does this mean for us? It means that we, we are called to this same thing. These promises were to the Jewish people at the time of Isaiah, and this is probably taking place before the exile. And he's telling them that, that it's for us too. I mean, these prophecies are meant for us as well as for the Jewish people. And it says, on, on that day, it will be said, behold, God to whom we look to save us. This is the Lord from whom we look. Let us rejoice and be glad, for he has saved us. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. Uh, what does that mean for us? It means that we are there's something more in mind for us. And so that we, we will look at that and we'll look again. Let's look again into John chapter 6. We, we had the first one where he talked about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. And now let's look at John chapter 6, verses 8, 68 and 69. And you remember, this is where everybody was running, going away, turning away from Jesus because they said it was a hard statement. They couldn't, they couldn't accept what he was saying. And Jesus asked Peter, where are you going to leave? And he said, Peter, are you going to leave too? Or he said that to the disciple. Simon Peter answered, and Simon Peter answered for all of those who were in the inner circle. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the message of eternal life, and we believe we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Mind us a little bit of John, or Matthew 18, 16, 18, where he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Peter is here in John proclaiming the same thing. Why is that so important to us? It's important to us because God has in mind for us more than we think we have in mind. And the message that he gives us, the invitation he gives to us may seem inconvenient, it may seem incomprehensible, but that doesn't mean that it's not there for us. Now, 
we can take a look at the psalm, and it's Psalm 23 again, and and the, it it continues that concept of shepherd, and the, the response is uh, the the first verse in there <clears throat> is the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. I really prefer the uh, translation in the Jerusalem Bible to this. It says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I lack nothing." Uh, and and it's one it one has two meanings actually uh, when you look at it the more uh, the more ancient meaning is the same as need so God is going to supply everything that we need and if you look at the rest of Psalm twenty three you see that it is talking about how much God has love for His people and that if you uh, follow the shepherd the shepherd is going to take care of everything you need and our response is I shall live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, living in the house of the Lord, we will see when we get to the gospel, is a life, and, and for that matter, in the first reading, it, it's a life of, of good things to, to come to us forever. Now, let's take a look at the gospel. The gospel is, uh, is a continuation of the message that Jesus is giving to the religious leaders after he entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. And this is the second one where he's really telling them that they're missing the boat, that they're not listening. Uh, So this is Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. So let's take a look. Jesus said in reply to the chief priests and the elders of the people in in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, if you look at chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, in Revelation, you'll see uh, John is looking at this, let us be glad and joyful and give glory to God because this is the time for the marriage of the lamb. His bride is ready and she has been able, she has been able to dress herself in dazzling white linen because her linen was made of the good deeds of the saints. The angel said this, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the wedding feast to the lamb. And he added, these words of God are true. Now, who is the bride of Christ that is being spoken of in Revelation? Well, that's the church. So that's you and me. God is speaking to us through John in Revelation, saying that we've been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So what does that mean for us? He dispatched his, he goes on to say, it means that we need to listen and we need to act. And that says that the king dispatched his servants to some of the invited guests of the feast, but they refused to come. Now, who are these servants? As we've seen before, uh, or talked before, these servants are the prophets. So, so the people of God, the chosen people, did not respond to the message that the, that the prophets had of the people to return to God. A second time, he sent other servants saying, those Tell those invited, behold, I've prepared my banquet. My calves are, and fattened cattle are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. Okay, so the wedding feast of the Lamb. Again, those of you that, that, the, that have read Scott Hans' book about this says that the wedding feast of the Lamb is the Eucharist in our lifetime. Okay, he goes through an elaborate discussion of how this, this feast of the, wedding feast of the Lamb is the Eucharist for us right now. So he went and the king was trying so desperately to get the people to respond to his invitation. And again, 
we see some ignored the invitation and went away, one to his farm, another to his business. So these folks were so preoccupied with what they were doing. I think if you look at the, at the Luke's account of this, which is uh, uh, Luke 9, chapter Luke chapter 9, verses 16 through 24, we'll see that it says, one says, I just got married. I need to stay with my wife. And one, I bought a new oxen and all, all these excuses of why their life was so busy that they didn't have time for this feast. What they were doing is, is in a sense, was they were uh, not just ignoring the king. They were actually insulting him because it should have been a good, great privilege for them to be able to spend time at the wedding feast. So where do we have another example of, of being too busy to do what needs to go? Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And it says, Now as they went on their way, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my, ser- my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. One thing is needful. Mary has chosen the good portion, she sh- it, which shall not be taken away from her. And that's from the RSV, uh, Catholic, Second Catholic Edition. <clears throat> We can get so distracted, even when we think we are serving God, that we miss the invitation that God has for us for something beyond just service. So, but that we look, go back here and we look, some ignored the invitation went away and one went to his farm, another to his business. They laid hold of his servants, mistreated them and killed them. Again, it's talking about the, the prophets. So the prophets suffered miserable fates at the hand of God's people because they didn't want to hear the message. They didn't want to be distracted from the life that they were living. Is that happening to you? Or is God sending people into your life that he wants to tell you, come away, come away with me, leave behind some of what you're doing? Are you able to come away? Or are you going to be like the rich young man that was so enamored with his wealth that he wasn't able to leave the wealth behind and follow Jesus when Jesus asked him to follow him. Jesus has told us that we need to leave it all behind. The king was enraged and sent his troops. This time in this parable, he's sending his troops instead of his son. So the troops, who are the troops? Well, if you look in Revelation again, the troops are the angels, the heavenly army, uh, remember in the Old Testament, it was the Lord of hosts, or Yahweh Sabaoth, and the host are the heavenly host. So it's the angels that he's, he, Jesus is referring to here. The king was enraged and sent his troops, destroy those, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, okay, are you want to be one of those who goes through destruction because you don't want to respond to the invitation, that you're giving God excuses, excuses that uh, may seem legitimate in your mind, but you're not realizing who the invitation is coming from. So, and this was lived out too in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, 
So they did this. There were two. The prophecy was in two phase, two twofold prophecy, as some a lot of the prophecies are that that you see in scripture. One is for that time, and one is for a future time, uh, or a near time and a, a far time. So he, Jesus was speaking to some extent of the destruction of Jerusalem in seventy A.D., but he's also talking about uh, the leaving behind the, the, those folks who didn't want to do anything and, and they were going to stew in their own broth, so to speak. Says, then he said to his servant, the feast is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy to come. Now, why weren't they worthy? They weren't worthy because they weren't willing to come. They proved that they, they weren't worthy to come because they weren't able to humble themselves to be able to go to the feast. They had too much of their own mind and their own lives that they were wanting to live. He says, go out therefore into the main roads and invite to the feast whomever you find. Now, obviously, uh, if you think about it, uh, if you apply this to what Jesus is saying, is that when the, G- the Jews turned their back on the Messiah, that the gospel would be preached to non-Jews. That would be to the Samaritans and to the Gentiles, anybody who had no Jewish blood at all in them. So Jesus is saying that you need to go out and get everybody you can to come and enjoy the feast. Come and enjoy the feast. Bring them in. I want the house. Whoever you find. So it didn't matter. Male, female, young, old. Didn't matter what the color of their skin was, uh, whether they were ill. There could have been even prostitutes and tax collectors that were invited in to go to this. So it's it's not just, you know, Jesus said, I have not come to for the righteous. I have come for sinners because it is not the well who need a doctor, but the sick. So he's going and he's inviting everyone he can find. The servants went out into the streets and gathered all they had found, bad and good alike. And the hall was filled with guests. <clears throat> So what does that mean? Well, let's look at Matthew 8, uh, verses 11 and 12. Another place where we see. And I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of the, the children of the kingdom will be thrown out into the darkness outside where there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. So Jesus is saying again here, that those who were invited first refused the invitation. So let's look at a couple other scriptures here uh, that that apply. It says when the king, but when the king came in and met the guests to meet the guests, he saw a man without a wedding garment. The king said to him, "My friend, how is it that you came in here without a wedding garment?" Now, what we need to look at here is couple of things. One is that some commentators say that the for the wedding, uh, the king always had some spare wedding garments around for those folks that didn't have them. It was there. You came in and got it. So some of the, there's, if you look at it that way, there's one person at least who refused to be properly dressed. You can come into the church, but are you wearing the garments of righteousness? Or what are you wearing? And so we need to wear those garments of righteousness. And God is going to provide those for us 
if we will just come to him and ask for him, say, I, I, I am unclean. I don't have a wedding garment. Come, and, and I want to be at, the, at this place, but I can't. Now, in, in, in uh, Isaiah 61, 3, this is referring to, to uh, the coming of the, king, of the king, the Messiah. To those to whom who mourn in, in Zion, the mountain, to them give a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness planted, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So what? So let's look again at this garment. Let's, so let's look in the New Testament, what some of the places where you see garment. In Romans 13, 14, it says, let your armor be the Lord Jesus Christ and stop worrying about your disordered natural, how your disordered natural inclinations may be fulfilled. So we're asked to change, put off the filthy rags and put on the wedding garment. Let's look again to Revelation, Revelation 7, 13, and 14. One of the elders spoke and asked me, Who are these people dressed in white robes? Where, where have they come from? I answered him, You can tell me, sir. Then he said, These are the people who have been through the great trial, and they have washed their robes white again in the blood of the Lamb. So God wants to do this for us if we're just willing to be able to listen to what he has to say. And he's going to provide everything we need. Uh, let's look again at another scripture, Colossians 3, 12, and 14. As the chosen of God, then, the holy people whom he loves, you are to be clothed in heartfelt compassion, in generosity and humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, forgive one another if one of you has complaint against another. The Lord has forgiven you. You must do the same. Over all these clothes put on love, the perfect bond. So Colossians tells us what this garment is. And so what are you doing about it? What are you doing? And, and I'm going to just quickly quote First Thessalonians 5, 8, which says, We belong to the day and we should be sober, put on faith and love for a breastplate, and hope for the helmet of salvation. You can look at Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, I believe it is, and see the other place where we're told how to dress for the battle that we're in. The king said to the attendants, bind his hand and his feet, and cast him out into the darkness. And we see that also in uh, in in the parable of the uh, talents, where the wicked, lazy servant was cast out into the darkness. And he says, many are called, but few are chosen. You can look at Matthew 25, 1 to 13, where it, it with the parable of the, of the uh, bridesmaids with the, with the oil in their lamp and how they weren't prepared either. Let's take a, we've got a few minutes. Let's take a quick look at the second reading, which is from Philippians. I think this is the last reading from Philippians. Maybe I said that last week. So I apologize if I'm, I wasn't tr- Truthful with you then. It says, Brothers and sisters, I know how to, and this is Philippians 4, 12 to 14 and 19 to 20. Brothers and sisters, I know how to live in humble circumstances. Uh, and the, the humble is, is, is something that means to take, make, be made low or depressed down, pressed down, bring low. 
I also know how to live with abundance. And the word there, really, the Greek word there is really superabundance. So it's not just abundance. It's crammed overflowing, what he wants to do, he's talking about. And in every circumstance and all things, I've learned to be well-fed and to be hungry. I always think of that reading uh, from Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is some places called, some translations also called uprightness, for they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. Paul knew how to be filled with all the things that God had to provide for him. And he was willing to accept whatever the circumstances were, which is a very difficult thing to do sometimes. <clears throat> Excuse me. I've learned the secret of being well, well fed and going hungry, of living in abundance and living in need. And all, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Uh, I'd like to read you from 1 Corinthians, uh, where is it? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He's, this is Paul was complaining that, that he asked God three times to remove some problem he had. And God responded, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul responds, I, I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And there's a, a meditation by Watchman Nee that you probably never heard of. But it talks about a man who he had a vision of a, that he was in a boat going down a river. And there was a big boulder in the middle of the river. And he had been praying and praying and praying that God would remove the boulder. And what, what God said, pray to raise the water level. And the water, in this case, is, is a symbol of grace. So God, he prayed, God raise the water level. And he saw that the water level was raised so that the boat that he was in could float over the circumstances. Uh, Zig Ziglar, I believe it was, was uh, one who talked about circumstances. And he, he, he really had a hard time with people saying, I'm okay under the circumstances. He, and he'd say, what are you doing under the circumstances? If you're victorious, you're supposed to be on top of the circumstances. So uh, I can do all things. Still, it was kind of you in my distress. And it says, my God will fully supply whatever you need. That's uh, Matthew, uh, Philippians 4.19. Again, that refers back to Psalm 23, that God will provide everything we need if we just allow him to. And so are you ready for that? Are you ready for God to provide what you need? Are you ready to respond to God when he calls to you? Are you willing to interrupt the ordinariness of your life to explore what God has in mind for you? I thank you so much for listening and hope that today will be a great day for you. I've enjoyed doing this for you. I really enjoy having uh, being the opportunity to do this, and I hope they're helpful to these uh these teachings are helpful to you god bless bye